Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We're headed to the Wester Hotline for our first guest of the morning and our show. It's Steven Ruiz of The Ringer. He writes about the NFL, covers all things NFL. Steven, thanks for joining us this morning, my friend. I appreciate having you on again and appreciate you giving us some time today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Always, always fun to come on uh, Buffalo Radio. Yeah, isn't it? You know, there's something about Buffalo now that uh, the team is good and perennially good that um, there's not there, there's less of this like complex of like wanting to set the record straight if anyone just doesn't necessarily, you know, just drinks the Kool-Aid. And, uh, you know, you've never you've never claimed to be a Kool-Aid drinker uh, last time I checked, Stephen. No, no. I do enjoy Kool-Aid. I haven't had it in years, but... Uh... Not not the football Kool-Aid. I right. Don't, I don't partake. <laughs> when given the opportunity to drink Kool-Aid, you will do it as long as it is not it doesn't pertain to an NFL franchise. That's right. I got that's it. Right. Got it. Just wanted to set the record straight. So and listen to uh, the Chargers. Yes, well, well, I mean, that's that's a separate story. We're going to talk about a little bit of that here in the next couple of minutes because, you know, kind of where I wanted to bring you in today, Stephen, is to talk a little bit about expectations. And, um, you know, they are sky high here in Buffalo. And I, I think rightfully so. It's a team over the last couple of years, um, particularly the last two campaigns, that have sort of been knocking on the door, right? And the quarterback has been playing at an elite level, um, maybe no more relevant than the last game of last year where he puts on one of the greatest you know final two minutes that uh, I think we maybe have ever seen in a playoff game but Steven where are you in terms of sort of the expectations for the Bills in this 2022 season They're, they seem to be sort of at the top of everyone's Super Bowl list their coach seems to be at the top of every coach of the year list their quarterback at the top of the MVP list that's a lot of expectations for a franchise that has not made it to a Super Bowl in two decades no, I think I would be right there with everyone else if not for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid still existing. It's kind of like the Chiefs or the New Patriots where you give them the benefit of the doubt until they lose. But on paper, I mean, the Bills look like the Super Bowl favorite. And that, just looking at their division compared to the Chiefs division and everyone else in that AFC West and even the AFC North, kind of feel like those teams are going to eat themselves while the Bills have not an easy division by any means, but – uh, easier road to to go down during the regular season. And then you look at the roster, and it's really hard to find obvious holes. And I think one thing the Bills front office did this offseason was they didn't panic. They didn't really chase those, those holes and try to fill them like we've seen other teams do in the past. And that's where teams make mistakes. The Bills kind of, like, let the guys come to them and just filled in the holes when that happened. Like, the, the run defense, they didn't really go out of their way to fix it. Bringing in Daquan Jones isn't a huge deal, but I think he's a great run defender. Tim Settle is great depth as a run defender. Uh, they get Elam and 
in the draft as a second corner, which they really needed, and I think he was one of the better uh, cover corners in this class. It's just like even the Von Miller deal. I know they gave him a lot of money, but it's not like they have to have to give up draft ca- capital to give him get him like right. the Rams did last year with the trade. So I just really love their offseason. This was a team that probably should have went to the AFC Championship if they could defend for 13 more seconds. I, I, I don't see a weakness on paper, maybe outside of the offensive line. Yeah, and that offensive line, Stephen, I think is in an interesting situation right now, right? Like they bring in Roger Saffold, who I think most people across the league would agree is definitely on the twilight end of his career, but is a guy that, you know, quote-unquote, I'll put finger quotes around it, made the Pro Bowl last year. And I think if you want to just put one for one, I do believe he's probably an upgrade over Daryl Williams at the left guard position um, or at the interior position. They move Ryan Bates over to the right guard and maybe Spencer Brown takes a step this year. But I think it's important to talk about this offensive line in terms of whether or not it matters, right? Because... Josh Allen last year under pressure, it was almost like if you're a defense, you don't want to put him under pressure because that is really where he thrives. And I'm wondering where you stand on whether or not it matters if the Bills invest heavily in that and have a top five, top ten unit when Josh Allen sort of thrives in those situations. Yeah, I think Allen's one of those quarterbacks where the the opponents would rather keep him in the pocket rather than flush him out, and that's rare. And I do think that helps an offensive line just naturally because now the defensive line isn't really pinning their ears back and rushing. They're trying to contain them in the pocket. So Josh Allen's presence just makes the pass protection better. It makes their job easier just by being there. I think it matters more in the run game. And I think we kind of saw this last year, how they kind of shifted towards a more heavy personnel, more under center as the season went along. We saw the fullback get more snaps, uh, Reggie Gilliam, and then now they bring in O.J. Howard, a second tight end, so they can do two tight end stuff. Roger Saffold is a guy that is, a, I think, a better run defense, uh, blocker than pass blocker. So you kind of see them starting to build up this run game, and I think that's where it's going to really matter. I, like you said, like Josh Allen is going to figure things out. He's a magician. Even under pressure, it's not going to matter. I don't think the pass protection unit is going to matter as much as the run blocking unit. And we saw last year when – Teams started to take away those deep shots that they were driving on in 2019, 2020. They went to play action. They went to the under center to kind of unlock those deeper areas of the field. And I think that's what we're, we're going to see a continuation of that. And now that Ken Dorsey taking over for Brian Dayball, Dorsey in Carolina, he was, that's the kind of system he was in. It was a lot of tight ends, a lot of backs on the field, play action, deep shots downfield. It wasn't like spread them out and try to get crossers open in Carolina. So maybe – I think we're going to see a different type of offense, and this offensive line is going to play a huge role, a bigger role than it has in the past when the running game was really like a break glass in case of an emergency situation. Steven Ruiz here from the Ringer on the Wester Hotline, and I'm glad you brought up the run game because I, I think if you're a Bills fan, you probably look at the run game the last two seasons while the Bills offense has been a perennial top-five team. You know They have not had to rely on that run game, and it's because the pass game has been so prolific, and the play action in particular has been so prolific. And now you bring in Dorsey, you move out Brian Dable, and now everyone here is sort of wondering, and I think they may not say they're wondering about this, but I know it's in the back of everyone's head, right? Like, some 
people and myself included are worried about like not messing with a good thing, right? And the good thing is throwing the football better and more efficiently than a lot of other, you know, than 28, 29 other teams in the league. Now, to say that this team might want to sprinkle in and layer in more running of the football, do you view that as a good thing? Do you view that as something, right, like this, the the boogeyman in the room in Buffalo is this word called balance, and it's the worst word in the whole wide world and the entire vocabulary that the head coach can talk, right, talking about balance, because... There is no right definition of it, I think, right? Because I don't know what Sean McDermott's definition versus Andy Reid's versus, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan's. I would assume Shanahan's and McDermott's, Shanahan's and, and Reid's are very, very different from each other. But what could an efficient or maybe more efficient run game do for this offense under Ken Dorsey, knowing that they will be able to play with more personnel packages this year than they did last year? I think efficiency is the key word. I don't think volume is really uh, should. I don't think it should be the goal for this team because they are so good at passing the ball. Like you said, it's just being able to get into formations and defenses have to respect the run game. They have to bring that extra player into the box. They can't play too high safeties or they have to really, you know, fudge the numbers inside in the box if they do want to play too high safety. And that creates problems for the front in other ways. So I think it's more, the threat of the run and like we could do all these different types of schemes you can't really do a lot if you have three receivers on the field unless those receivers are cooper cup and robert woods and they can block really well and you're running condensed formations like the rams have when they play 11 personnel but that's not what the bills personnel looked like they had cole beasley out in the slot they didn't have him blocking and close to a tight end now beasley's gone you bring in oj howard and i think that those having two blockers in tight ends and another blocker in a fullback and then a running back. And then you have Josh Allen as a guy who can keep the ball definitely. And he's very effective with the ball in his hands. Now the defense has so much to worry about. And that's before you even think about coverage. That's even before, before you think about Stefan Diggs and covering him or Gabe Davis. And he's a guy that you, you might have to command two people in coverage to stop him because he's so big. I, I think it's just having those bodies on the field. I don't think they even have to run the ball more. It's just being able to run those concepts whenever they can. I think it's going to put more on the defense's plate. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the guy that I kind of keep hammering home about that people probably don't talk about enough here in Buffalo is their fullback, Reggie Gilliam. I mean, he's a guy that came into the league as a tight end, then he moved to fullback, and he kind of reminds me a lot of, like, I've our next guest that I have on the show is Doran Dickerson. Um, and Doran, you know, from Pittsburgh and was a guy that played here in Buffalo and was sort of like the ideal H-back. He never really stuck around here or anywhere in the NFL. But, like, I, I view him as maybe an X-factor that at times last year when the run game really started to take its hold from like week 15 and on last year um a lot of that had to do with their in with their sort of um integration of the fullback and and not just any fullback but one that can be a threat in the passing game as well yeah yeah he was a big deal for them like getting him on the field at the end of the year i really think is was one of the key factors along with josh allen playing better but it was one of the key factors in that offensive turnaround that kind of happened i like over the last month of the season or so when he was on the field, he was only on the field for 41 dropbacks, but the average depth of target jumped from 8.1 to 10.7 yards per attempt jumped from 6.8 to eight yards per attempt. Like, obviously this guy had an impact and I don't think it's just because he's a good pass catcher, which I think is a threat you need to have. If you're going to try to run this type of offense, like the Ravens with Patrick Ricard, he's not really a run threat. He's more of a blocker. I think he even played like defensive tackle for a couple snaps uh, in previous years. 
that makes it easier. Like that's you, you're not really using all five eligibles in the passing game. But if you have a guy that can catch a pass in the flat and do something after the catch, now all of a sudden you have to worry about that underneath coverage. And if you're worrying about underneath coverage, guess what that opens up? That deep coverage. And that's what we saw last year when Gilliam got on the field. They were able to stretch the field in ways they weren't when he wasn't on the field earlier in the season. Steven, I want to kind of move off the Bills and into the rest of the AFC. I'll get to the Chargers here in just a second. But I kind of want to ask you about your overall thoughts about the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Because I think they're such an interesting case study on the, you know, hey, elite player in Tyree Kill, trading him and going with more volume, right? Going with Juju and and MBS and and drafting Sky Moore and, you know, keeping around Nicole Hardman. So they're going with the route of, well, we're not going to have a true number one. We're going to have a bunch of number twos and number threes because of the belief in, A, the system, right, with Andy Reid and that evolution. This this offense can evolve past just being, you know, centered around Tyree Kill, but B, the belief that Patrick Mahomes is as good as he is doesn't need that type of player. You don't need to pay a wide receiver $27 million guaranteed in every year to be able to say like, hey, we can function at a high level as an offense. Where are you? Because I'm, I'm a little on the fence about this, Stephen, about whether or not it feels like they fully thought out how important he has been to them. And I know that they know how important he was. I just think that there's there was a level of they've already sort of spent a lot of money on a lot of players, and there just wasn't enough to go around. But, man, Stephen, that is certainly a bet on themselves and on that franchise thinking they're going to be able to overcome. I don't like Tyreek Hill as a person that much, but I cannot deny his the uniqueness that he brings to the field. He's one of the most unique talents of this generation. So I think like the evolution of this offense is kind of intertwined with the evolution of the Bills' offense. I think they both faced similar challenges earlier last year where teams were selling out to take away the, the deep crossers, and they had to adjust. And how the Chiefs adjusted was using Tyreek Hill underneath rather than running that deep cross. They'd have someone else run it, and Tyreek Hill would be the underneath option. Now, Tyreek Hill is a great player, but as an underneath option, I'm not paying him $25 million a year. I think what they realized was teams are going to sell out to take take away Tyreek. And that's an expensive that's an expensive decoy to have on the mm, field. That's a good point. And I think what they wanted, I think in theory, it might be easier to get those deep shots when Tyreek's not on the field because now you don't have defenses selling out to stop him. What they did was they brought in Juju. They brought in MVS from uh, Green Bay. Those two guys can block. They mm. can get under center now. They can run those condensed formations like the Rams do, like I talked about the Bills doing, and that's what we saw last year at the end of the year too. It's kind of what they evolved into. I think they realized Tyreek isn't as valuable as he was even two years ago because we're not mm. going to be able to run those same concepts. I think they wanted versatility from their wide receivers more so than replacing a superstar with a bunch of B-plus talents. I think they, just, they saw Juju Smith not as – not as like a Tyreek replacement, but as someone who could do a different type of role. Like you can play a different type of role and we can run a different type of offense because that's what we're going to have to do now because teams are playing more too high and they're taking away what we used to do. So we have to change. I don't know if it's going to work. It's a risk, certainly, but I think it's something they had to do. And I think it's something we've seen the Bills do, and it's kind of like the same evolution. Interesting. I, I kind of like the the way that you thought of, or that, that you explained it, and it – almost brought me to a follow-up question about Tyreek Hill and what it looks like in Miami, right? And I know the last couple of days, it's it's funny for me anyways to see 
fans in a team talk about practice like it is anything more than practice and that you can't really judge a player because you don't watch what he does against third and fourth string players. And I, I, as funny as that is, for me anyways, I think there is a level of interest that I have on what it looks like in Miami because I think a lot of my, people in Miami and fans alike think, well, it's going to look like Kansas City, right? And and he's going to be running free and two is just going to have easy nine routes on his on the top of his drop. He's just going to loft it up there and 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 Tyreek's going to run under it. And and I am am sort of the mind Stephen that if they believe that defenses are going to defend them like they defended the Chiefs, I don't know what world that they're living in. No, I don't and I don't even think that's really their mindset. They brought in Mike McDaniel of Kyle Shanahan accolade. He's going to run. You know, he's going to have a fullback on the field. I think they signed a fullback. The name is escaping me right now. Was it? They're going to have. Was it the kid? Was it the guy from the Patriots? Uh it might have been. I, I should. Yeah, I, like, I can't. I can't remember his but, name either. But yeah, they got a fullback, so I, I don't think it's going to look anything like the Chiefs. Really, I think it's. It might look like what the Chiefs were doing at the end of last year, but it's going to look like the 49ers. And I think the question with Tyreek Hill and whether the Dolphins are going to get the most out of him, people have have kind of put that on Tua. Like, is Tua going to be good enough? I don't think it's a Tua question. I think it's a Mike McDonald question. If Mike McDonald's the second coming of Kyle Shanahan, it won't matter how if Tua takes a step forward. If Tua's just fine, which he has been in the past then Tyreek Hill is going to get a lot of opportunities because that coaching staff is very good at drawing up deep shots and getting people open on crossing routes. And if you could do that with Tyreek Hill, who's the fastest man in the NFL, it's going to be tough to cover, especially when they have Jalen Waddle on the other side, who is close to as fast as Tyreek Hill. So for me, it's a Mike McDaniel question. If he can get this offense humming like it was in San Francisco, I mean, we've seen other quarterbacks other mediocre quarterbacks have success in this offense I don't think it's going to be a problem we saw Alex Smith take advantage of Tyreek right. Hill and Alex Smith was always known he had kind of had that same rep as, as Tua like I'm not going to throw it deep I'm going to check it down I don't have the strongest arm but he still got the most out of uh, Tyreek it's a great point uh Stephen Ruiz here on the Western hotline of the ringer got one more for you I kind of want your overall thoughts. I know I know how bullish you are are uh, on the on the Chargers. They had a really great offseason in terms of adding blue chip talent to a defense that desperately needed it. I think they probably have the best one two edge rush defenders in the league right now in Bosa and Mac. Where do you stand on the whole Justin Herbert portion of this, and what lies ahead this year for the Chargers and Brandon Staley? Because I think for me, the biggest thing I think the biggest asset is how aggressive and how trustworthy their head coaches in that offense and I know that people probably in Los Angeles want that to change a little bit after last year I sincerely hope that it doesn't I think it's one of their biggest strengths yeah yeah I I have no problem with how Staley approaches the head coaching position I think he did a great job I think he maximized the Chargers chances last year that was a very flawed defense and I think he realized he needed to keep his offense on the field. He knew where his bread was buttered, so to speak. Mm. Uh, and the players loved him for it. Like offensive, you ask any of the offensive players, they love that they go for fourth down at like every time. But my one concern is the same concern I had last year. The right tackle position has gone unchanged. They have a, they've brought in a lot of good players this year, but Storm Norton is still at the top of that depth chart. And if you watch that Week 18 game, against the Raiders, the one they, they uh, ended up losing and missing in the playoffs because of, he was the main problem. He was getting pushed back in Justin Herbert basically every snap, mm. and he's still the right tackle. So that's my concern. Everything else, like the defense, I think is, is fixed now. And 
it's hard to say that with an NFL team before seeing it out on the field, but Khalil Mack is Khalil Mack. J.C. Jackson is a good player. I don't. I think he was a little overhyped by Patriots fans. Agreed. We're calling him like one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but he's better than what the Chargers had. Right. Better than Michael Davis, which was their like their ISO guy, the guy that they played on the backside of trips. He would cover the isolated receiver. Now they have J.C. Jackson in that role. That allows them to get back to the stuff Staley was doing with the Rams, which he couldn't really do with the Chargers last year because of the personnel deficiencies. So I think the defense is much is going to be much better. It was one of the worst defenses last year. I think it's going to be around top ten this year. And then Justin Herbert, I mean, you know how much I love him. I think he's I think he's probably the second best quarterback in the league. I know Buffalo fans won't want to hear that, but the sky's the limit for him. He's like. He's so good at everything, and now he's taking more control of the offense in year two under Joe Lombardi. So I think the offense might even take a step forward. Still that one concern is Storm Norton because the tackle position is so important, especially if you're going to be dropping back and throwing a lot of passes, which the Chargers should be doing. So I'm a little concerned. I hope Herbert can stay healthy. I hope Norton isn't the same problem he was last year. If that is the case, like if Norton's fine, I think the Chargers have a shot at being the best team in the AFC it's just that they play in a tough division, yep. and that's going to hurt them. Steven, tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter, uh, what kind of work you got coming up here. I know we're in kind of the dog days of summer before training camp starts. So tell the folks uh, where they can find your work. Uh, you can find me on The Ringer. I'm writing something next week kind of about the evolution of offenses. I'm going to be talking a lot about the Bills offense. I'm going to be talking about the Chiefs offense a lot. A lot of the stuff I talked about during this during this interview, uh, I'm writing that for next week. And then I don't know what else I'm doing summer like you said dog days summer i don't know i'll I'll come up with some content but you can also find me on twitter at the steven ruiz awesome buddy thanks again i appreciate all the insight and your time thanks for uh for being so generous with it enjoy the rest of your summer and we'll uh we'll talk again uh, soon i'm sure t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.